Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to another all-new edition of Geek2Me Radio. Today we have two guests. First up, Jim Oosley, talking about a brand new Kickstarter he's got for the Butcher Queen comic. And then we'll be talking with the composer of The Clone Wars on Disney+, Plus, Kevin Kiner, talking all about Season 7. That and more, straight ahead. Stand by. We're talking TV, comics and movies, and video games. And if you don't know, Star Trek and Star Wars will try to explain. There are drum dodgers for Hogwarts houses on Ringworlds and more. And for those of you who have found us out there on the web, whether you hear your podcast on SoundCloud, Podomatic, iTunes, wherever you get them from, we appreciate your finding us. We are now on iHeartRadio as well, so make sure you bookmark us and favorite us there if that's the platform you use. However you have found us, you have found us, and we are greatly appreciative that you are listening. Uh, you can make sure to click that subscribe button. Also, follow me on Facebook. Facebook.com slash geek to me radio and Twitter and Instagram at geek to me radio. We've got a full show with our guests. We're going to dive right in right now. We've got a frequent guest on the show because he's a local guy. He's a friend of mine, Jim Oosley, writer of the butcher queen of the dead palace. And we've got him back talking about a brand new Kickstarter. Jim, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. Um, so, new Kickstarter, and this is the first Kickstarter I've seen going since we've had the whole COVID-19 thing. It's got to be an interesting time to start a Kickstarter, um, but obviously the world cannot stop. So talk a little bit about, first of all, uh, doing a Kickstarter in this kind of new environment in which we've never found ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that was, you know, obviously something that was on our minds because it's uh it's currently kind of uh changing and rearranging our lives you know uh by by the minute it seems like and we're just inundated with news about it um and obviously everybody is you know keeping inside and, and being very careful and you know the thing is with uh with Kickstarter is what we found and we we actually delayed it by a couple of weeks um because we, we wanted to start it a little bit earlier but we when we started to research this, we found that, you know, Kickstarters are still going. You know, people are still uh, backing Kickstarters and supporting independent artists uh, like myself and, and like Ben. And, uh, you know, we don't work for um, one of the big comic publishers. We uh, Red 5 Comics publishes our, our stuff, and we love working with them, and they've been very supportive. And we thought, you know... You know, like I, I play music. I can't go out and play with a band right now. I can't, you know, like you're an actor. You can't go out and do theater right now. But writing and, and doing art is something we can do from our homes. And 
you know, it's, it's very important to us. That's how we keep saying, you know, so um, just looking at the other Kickstarters that are out there that have started, you know, and are, and are doing well, we, we feel pretty good about it because we want it to not only be a chance for us to get our work out there, people to enjoy it, you know, later this year, but we also want to make the campaign fun and make it be a fun and entertaining diversion as well, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. And I think uh, that's key right now. So many people on lockdown were, Hopefully we're self-quarantining. If we're not ordered to quarantine, we're smart enough to do it ourselves anyway. But so many people looking for new things to read, new things to see. And obviously, uh, if you haven't already picked up The Butcher Queen or Dead Pals or even going back to Rough and Tumble, uh, those are out there. And I suggest supporting your local comic book stores. We always recommend. And a lot of them, like Justin's Comics in St. Charles, is doing curbside pickup. Give him a call and see if he can get those for you or wherever you're listening to this in your city or state. Uh, local comic book stores, please keep supporting them. See if they have curbside pickup, and you can always get back issues of these, like we just talked about, Butcher Queen from Red 5. So talk about the new Kickstarter, then. What is the project this time around? Uh, this time we're actually doing, you know, Red 5 asked us what we wanted to do next, and I really felt like we could have, we just kind of got the tip of the iceberg with Butcher Queen, you know? And so uh, we said we want to do another Butcher Queen series, and it's called Butcher Queen, Planet of the Dead, and, uh, you know, we're, with the first Butcher Queen series, it was pretty much, uh, based in a place called Black Star City. And it was kind of the amalgamation of all of our influences, like, you know, Blade Runner and all that sort of futuristic, uh, slightly dystopian kind of thing, you know, uh, a lot of neon, a lot of urban stuff. In this new series, we wanted to kind of see what it would be like to take that perspective and do it for more of a global, uh, idea. You know what I mean? Like, uh, for example, when we think of uh, neo-futurism, we think about Tokyo, you know, in the 22nd century. Yeah. Well, what's, your, what's it like in Mexico City? What's it like in Gaza City? What's it like in Colorado? And those are all places and, and other ones that we visit in uh, Butcher Queen, Planet of the Dead. So from that perspective, Ben's been really having a good time, uh, you know, researching that, you know, and it's really opened up things for us. And, uh, you know, the, the key to any story, like for me that I'm working on is, it's like an emotional connection to a character. And this one is a, a character named Dagger, who's this, uh, this teenager. Um, he's kind of a, uh, a genius IQ level kind of guy, but he lives isolated with his parents out in, uh, in the, uh, the mountains of Colorado. And he comes upon what he at first thinks is a completely different life form. But we find out the truth later on, and it leads to discoveries about an alternate dimension that kind of wants to have a lot of things that we have. And Sid Kiyoa is called into play because I can't really tell you. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the whole story. No, no, no. It's really, really fun. We actually, we actually started working on this um, back in December when issue four of the first series came out. Um, I put together the uh, the outline for it, and uh, you know when we did the first series, we actually didn't have a whole lot of time to develop it. Um, this one we did early enough to where we're really doing something that we feel like takes everything to the next level. And I know a lot of people say it's the next level, and we're doing it next level, but we actually really are um, taking advantage of the time that we had to develop something really fun for people. And uh, if there's one thing I can say about this second series is that it really is more fun. 
Uh, we, we know our characters a little bit better. Um, and there's, you know, Ben's artwork is, has evolved so much in this short amount of time. Uh, we're just very excited about it to share it. And for people who maybe they didn't read Butcher Queen, is this something they're going to be lost? Obviously, we want them to go back and get Butcher Queen if they haven't, but are they going to need to have read the first series in order to understand what's going on in this one? No, not at all. Now, if you've read the first series or the short story that was in the Dead Palace, um, that'll just enhance the experience for you, probably. But you don't need to have any prior knowledge with this series. Um, that was a really important thing we wanted to do also because, you know, hopefully there'll be a lot of new people coming on board to, to check out the series, and we didn't want them to be lost. So there's enough in there, enough Easter eggs for older readers, for new readers, it, you know, you don't need to know the whole history behind it. And so is this like a sequel, or is it like a Temple of Doom thing, where it's the second in the series, but it takes place before the first one? What's what's the timeline look like here? Uh, the timeline actually takes place two years after the first Butcher Queen series okay. ends. So it's two years after that. Um, our uh, It opens with our group. Um, you know, they're, they're just trying to make some money on the side because... Uh, helping uh, off-worlders and, and people in desperate situations cost money, cost credits, as we would say, in the uh, Buster Creek world. And so, uh, yeah, that's yeah, there's been two years that have gone by between the new story in Planet of the Dead and the first series. And talking about uh, Ben's artwork evolving, the Kickstarter itself certainly has to evolve as well. What are you? What did you learn from previous Kickstarters that's changing this particular one? Are we getting new incentives, uh, and how are the incentives different from before? Kind of talk a little bit about creating the Kickstarter for this second series. Yeah, we actually. So, in keeping with the idea of making this one different, because it's you know it's we don't want to do the same thing every time, and that that's a, that's not just with the series. We also want to do the Kickstarter somewhat differently as well. So we do have different things we're offering. Um, we're kind of gone beyond. We're offering, you know, the T-shirts and and, and and enamel pins and buttons and that sort of thing. But we're also doing uh, kind of fun different things, like there's a, uh, for St. Louis Packers, we're doing a thing that's called the uh, <laughs> the, the Jimbo Cyberpunk Adventure, which is uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a thing where you, uh, you back us to that level, and then uh, me and a couple of musician friends uh, perform a living room concert for you. Uh, wow. an living room concert. And, uh, you know, we, you get the subscription, obviously, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and I, I do some other writing on the side. Like I write these, uh, kind of silly haikus. And a lot of people have been wanting me to do like a haiku book. So I'm actually doing that. And that's offered at a couple of the levels as well. Um, and we have a couple of really great, uh, artists who are doing covers for us. Uh, one is Tim Bradstreet. Um, if you've ever heard of him before. I feel like um, I have I heard think, the name, yeah. Yeah, he's done a lot of great, great stuff. He's an amazing artist. And Zach Howard is actually doing our Kickstarter exclusive. Ooh, okay. Cover. Yeah, and he just did a, uh, the, like a Hellboy. Yeah. Uh, one side, I believe, yeah. And so, yeah, we've got some really great things. And that's that's probably the main thing I'm excited about is Red Five agreed to, uh, for all of our backers of this Kickstarter, these backers are going to get their very own exclusive variant 
issue. Wow. So, in other words, it's, it's not going to be available at red5comics.com. It's not going to be available in shops or anywhere online. It's just to our backers. So it's going to be a very, very exclusive and very cool cover. And I'm really psyched about that. And speaking as someone who is friends with Jim Oosley on Facebook, who gets uh, exposed to a lot of these haikus, that level alone is worth it. Trust me, folks, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. The haikus yeah, are always fun. Silly, but, you know, it, it's fun. You know, it's uh, it's all about just trying to put a, a smile on somebody's face, you know. And that's, you know, that's one thing about the uh, this thing that we're all going through right now, this, this you know, pandemic where we've got to kind of stay locked down for a while. It will get better. You know, it it things will get better and, and even out. But, you know, if you're a, a creative type person, and I know you are, so you, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this, you know, being creative is such a huge part of our life, you know. And uh, my, my goal in life is just to leave behind as many cool, fun things as I possibly can for people to enjoy. And, you know, this is this is one of them. I'm really happy with this series. And uh, I'm happy that people are liking it, and I'm hoping people, you know, uh, support us on this one. And you know, if they do, they won't be disappointed. Yeah, I, I can't imagine having seen, like I said, the products you put out in the past between you and Ben with uh, the words and the art that just it jumps right off the page. It's it's amazing to see. So if you haven't, uh, if you're listening right now and you haven't picked up one of the previous series. Where can they go? Where's the best place to send them if they want to? Well, you know what? This is great. I want to back this Kickstarter. I want to see what else they have. Where's the best place to send listeners if they want to pick up some of the Dead Palace or some Butcher Queen or something like that? Um, Dead Palace is actually out of print. Um, I've got a few copies um, that will probably have at uh, you know, conventions when those start up again. Um, but um, as far as the, uh, the Butcher Queen series, the first four issues... Um, the first one is sold out, but I don't think you can get that. But um, you can get on Comicology, though, the whole series. And, you can, you know, what I recommend people do first is just contact your, your local comic shop. Um, if they have, you know, anything online or curbside and, and check it out that way. If all fails, you know, you can easily go to red5comics.com, and they've got the, the full series. Um, they don't have the first issue, but they've got the Jim Mossford variant of issue one. Um, but yeah, it can be picked up at uh, red5comics.com or your local comic shop, online or curbside, and Comicsology. I did not realize that so many of those had already sold out. So listeners, I do have copies. They're going for $500 a pop. I'll throw in a roll of toilet paper. Hit me up at geek to me Radio. That's perfect, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the toilet paper alone it's, it's is that, that, that has an extra $50 value right there, but still. <laughs> Well, Jim, this is great. I always love talking to you about your uh, items. And I, 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 so far, no one's let me down. Uh, make sure you back this Kickstart because I don't think you've ever had a Kickstart that it hasn't gone through so far that we've talked about on air. So I'm hoping my winning streak and yours stays alive. Yeah, I think, I think you're the lucky charm. And I'm, I'm hoping that we, uh, we have another good one coming up. You know, we're certainly going to uh, work hard and make it, make it a success. So we'll see what happens. Perfect. Very excited to see it. Uh, please tell Ben I said hello. And once this actually goes and gets fully funded, we'll have to have you on again to talk about the launch for the first issue. Yeah, man, that'd be terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. Where can people find you on Twitter or Instagram or uh, tell people where they can get a hold of you on websites? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at, uh, at Jim Oosley. 
Um, I'm on Instagram at radio underscore Jimbo. And on Facebook, it's just Jim Moosley at Jim Moosley. Um, and Butcher Queen, uh, you can find that at Butcher Q Comic. And that's uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. Jim, thanks very much for your time. Best of luck with the Kickstarter, and we'll have you on again soon. Thank you, my friend. So I know with all this COVID-19 stuff, uh, people are still donating to Kickstarters and things like that. If you want to support some of these indie artists and indie projects, uh, Jim Oosley and Ben Sawyer turn out a great project. So you can look up, go to Kickstarter and look up Butcher Queen, and they'll be able to get you to that particular project. We're going to take our first break. We're coming back. We're talking the rest of the hour with composer Kevin Kiner. Please stand by. Hey, this is Greg Grunberg, Snap Wexley from Star Wars. And it's all geek to me, my friends. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, James Enstall. I don't think I introduced myself in the first segment, but that's who I am. Geek to me radio. Uh, very proud to have the guests we have on. And of course, the sponsors that we have. Uh, Marcus Theaters is one of our sponsors. Fantastic movie-going experience, and they've got specials going on right now, because obviously no one's going to see movies in theaters. It's so sad, because I'm a movie guy, and I want to go see Black Widow and some of these other movies that are coming out, like Minions 2. I want to go out to the movie and get a big tub of popcorn. Well, guess what? Marcus Theaters is finding creative ways to stay alive during this time. I just got in the mail yesterday a movie pack. You can have movie night at home for $30, You get three candies and a huge, and I mean huge, uh, container of popcorn. You also get two fountain soda cups, so you can enjoy the actual movie-going experience. You can fill it with your favorite beverage of choice. Sit back with your tub of popcorn, your candies, and watch a movie. And going forward, there's a coupon inside. You can refill that tub of popcorn Uh, as soon as the Marcus Theaters and Movie Taverns do open up again, and a $3 snack cash card for you to use at the concession stands when you go back as well. Um, Marcus Theaters always offers a great time going to the movies, and it's a great business. They came through here in St. Louis, and they renovated all the the, uh, Werenberg Theaters. They did a great job putting them all uh, back on their feet, getting them in great shape, Uh, transformed the way you see movies here in St. Louis. So if you are looking for a business to support, Marcus Theaters is one. It'll be one of those things. As soon as this all happens, folks, I guarantee you, people will be stampeding the movie theaters. They want to have that movie-going experience. No one delivers that experience like Marcus Theaters. MarcusTheaters.com is the website. Check out the special they've got going on, and please support them if you can. Our next guest is a famous composer. He's worked on so many different projects. We dug into those throughout the course of the interview, but we were mainly talking about the new season of Clone Wars is on Disney+. Plus. The final season, season seven, has been such an exciting ride, and here to talk about that ride that he helped create, composer Kevin Kiner. Right now we're talking with composer extraordinaire Kevin Kiner, talking about the upcoming final season of Clone Wars. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you, James? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for the time today. This is very exciting, and I'm sure you're just as excited. The big uh, seventh and final season of Clone Wars, something you've worked on now uh, for a while. You've also done Rebels, but this has got a lot of people talking as soon as the announcement was made. What were your thoughts and feelings when you were first told that, hey, we're doing a seventh season? Oh, it's just 
I think excitement and gratitude uh, that I've, I've, I'm able to kind of be part of finishing something that I'd started and that we'd all felt kind of, you know, never got to finish the way we wanted it to, you know. So it's very rare you're able to do something like that and, and really, I think, it made us all really push to do our uh, utmost best and uh, maybe explore some new areas and and just make it shine the best we could. So the previous six seasons of Clone Wars, uh, we've now got the seventh season, the final season coming out on February 21st on Disney+. Plus. Going into this, uh, what kind of things did you think theme-wise, music-wise, was there something you felt maybe was left on the table? It's like, gosh, I wish I would have been able to uh, do an arrangement of this, and now you're getting that chance? And if so, what were those items you felt were kind of uh, still lingering? Um, Yeah, it wasn't so much something that I felt was lingering. I I mean, I I think, you know, music is so tied to the story, and I mean, that's my whole job is to support the story. So I, I think when I say that we we were disappointed that we weren't able to button up the show, it was more in a dramatic sense, and then the music is just going to be a reflection of that. Uh, but there were things that I wanted to do stylistically um, to move forward and to keep the show, you know, really kind of cutting edge musically and and in in. You know, I mean, there's just things that are happening happening in the the musical zeitgeist that I I wanted the show to be a part of. And obviously, Star Wars, uh, just the the scope of the franchise cannot be uh, overstated. It, it's huge. It's worldwide. It's a phenomenon. Everyone knows the music of John Williams with the uh, the Star Wars theme, the Imperial March. Going into this, when you first started taking on the project, this one and and, then subsequently Rebels, there had to have been a little bit of, uh, I guess, not apprehension, but nervousness taking on the music for such an incredible franchise, but also going into the series, which was uh, expectations were pretty high. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, when you get a call from George Lucas, especially back in that day when I did, I think it was in 2007 or something like that. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, <laughs> and, and it can be intimidating, you know, and then when, he, you know, it was an audition process. And so then when I, you know, when I was chosen out of the audition process and, I mean, it was just, it was both an honor and a, a frightening proposition. I mean, <laughs> you know, the first thing he asked me to do was rearrange the theme and I didn't want to do it. I, I mean, I told George, I said, you know, John did this properly the first time. And, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, it's his theme and he arranged it and I don't think anybody should mess with that. But, uh, that didn't really satisfy him. So he sent me home and I didn't sleep for a few weeks and <laughs> figured it out kind of, but uh, yeah, it's, it's intimidating, but, uh, you know, I think in the final analysis, you know, maybe you have some jitters, you know, I'm a baseball fan and I, I like to use baseball analogies and, 
you see guys that are interviewed and that they'll be asked, are you nervous? And, and I, I think a lot of them, when they're really honest, they, they say, yeah, I'm nervous, but they also, you know, then they go out and hit a home run. So, well, how did they do that? I, I, I think the answer is, yeah, they had a nervous energy, but they didn't get blinded by the nervousness and they didn't, it, it wasn't something that, that made them freeze like a deer in the headlights. It, it was actually something that stepped up their game, and and it was a it was a nervousness that was constructive and really helped them be better. You know, and um, I think that's what happened with me. I, I mean, in in the end, I felt I was up to the task, and and I I think I did up my game. I think I wrote better music than I'd ever written in my life. And you mentioned about George Lucas calling you on the, in the audition process itself. Talk a little bit about how you get a gig. Because obviously people know actors. They go out in the audition for a part or they're called by a director. They're friends with the director and they get called in to read for something. So you got a call, but then you auditioned. What was the process like? Do you know how many other people you were up against? If you could talk a little bit about landing the gig. Sure. Uh, so I, I believe there were five of us total. Uh, we never met each other. I do know who one of the guys was, and he's a fantastic composer. Uh, I can't say who it was. Uh, and so all five of us were were uh, flown up to Lucasfilm at different times, and we went to Skywalker Ranch and met with... Actually, we didn't meet with George uh, for the audition. We met with uh, Dave Filoni and uh, I think Jason, who was the uh, lead editor at that time. I forget Jason's last name. Uh, so we were shown a scene, but maybe about 15 minutes, the first 15 minutes of the first episode, and given that scene to take home and to score it. Um, we, Dave gave us a little bit of direction, uh, what he thought, he wanted and then we each scored it as we saw fit and uh and and, and so i mean you know that was i think i had a couple of weeks to do that um and and you then you, you just kind of you turn it in and see which one they like the best uh i believe it was a blind test i, I don't know that you know, I, I that anybody knew who they were listening to when they were doing it. Mm. So, I mean, it's always gratifying when that happens. Yeah. Because, yeah, and I really didn't know anybody. I didn't know George Lucas. I didn't know Dave Filoni. I didn't, you know, I, so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's really cool when your music, music speaks for itself. That's the best you can hope for, really. Absolutely. And with this being the final season, we're drawing closer to that. Uh, you know, there's the gap between episodes two and three. We're drawing closer to episode three, which was a darker film. When you approach this final season, and obviously I would think the musical tone has to be uh, towards the darker end. It's a little bit more ominous. We know kind of as fans what we're getting. We're moving towards the final transition of Anakin becoming Darth Vader. Talk a little bit about styling the music for this seventh season and what the differences were between what we have heard in the previous seasons. We're going to take our next break, come back and get Kevin's answer to that question right after this. Please stand by. Hi. 
Hi guys, it's Emily Swallow. I have two things to tell you, one of which is this is the way. And you are listening to Geek to Me Radio. We're back talking with the Clone Wars composer Kevin Kiner. Before we went to break, we asked him about making season seven sound different from the previous ones. Uh, in general terms, and, and I spoke about it a little bit earlier. I, I in the uh, in the ensuing five years after season six, in addition to working on Rebels, I, I worked on um, Doom Patrol and Titans for Warner Brothers, yeah. which I'm, I'm actually I'm just starting a second season of Doom Patrol right now, and uh, those were heavy, heavy synth shows, uh, really electronic. Uh, no orchestra at all for the most part in either yeah. of those shows. Um, and, it, and I've done that before on, on CSI Miami, but the, these take it to a whole new level, especially in the kind of the science fiction or the DC comic, you know, kind of genre. And uh, I wanted to bring a little bit of that, not, not you know, not an overbearing amount, but I, I wanted to, I, I, I felt like that was part of the new sound of, of uh, film scoring, and I, it continues to be, and, and I wanted to bring a little bit of that sound into the season uh, seven score. And we mentioned Star Wars being so iconic, obviously, the, the music. Um, when you were doing Rebels, obviously, much different tone of show between Rebels and Clone Wars, so when you're finding, uh, when I talk to voice actors, I talk about finding the voice of a character. You're doing the similar thing. You're finding the voice of the show, basically, conf- uh, with obviously the John Williams kind of overarching music. So talk a little bit about how you find the tone for a show, which is a little more lighter, like Rebels versus Clone Wars. What kind of stuff you like to play with and what parameters were put on you for finding that tone? Um. You know, it's, I often, people ask me about, you know, what my writing process is. And I really very seldom write music. Maybe I could almost say never write music unless I have a gig. Um, and I really don't hear music unless I see picture or I have a story to write about. Hmm. Uh, um, and that's just how I am. I, I just, uh, you know, if if I were a classical composer, I, I definitely would have done what they call program music, which would have been I would have made up a story in my head or something like that. You know, uh, or or taken a Shakespeare, uh, you know, play and and written about that. But anyhow, I write. I, I'm I'm really a film and television composer, so it's it's not really a strategy or anything. It's more just playing about what's what's on the screen. So mm. if if you know Clone Wars is is darker um and it's so when I see it on the screen you're going to hear it in my music because I just reflect what's there. Gotcha. Okay, it makes sense. Yeah, we just uh here in St. Louis we the St. Louis Symphony just did one of those things where they played the music while we watched Empire Strikes Back, and you really, oh, that's so when, fun. it is, and when when you're in that kind of environment, you realize because uh, sometimes when you're watching a movie, you're paying attention to the the uh, the action going on or the story or whatever. But without music, if you hit mute 
and you're watching a movie or TV show, it really is something that takes you out. The music draws you in and serves to propel the story. And that's why I love talking to composers so much because you've got the story that you're telling on a whole different level, a whole different sensory experience. That's got to be very gratifying then to have your work on Clone Wars and Rebels and everything else you've done be so well-received. Yeah, it's, it's extremely gratifying. Uh, you know, I, I kind of stay away from social media and, you know, um, not because I'm a snob, but I, I don't want to believe the good and I don't want to believe the bad either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm, I'm told by the, you know, publicity people at Lucasfilm that, that it is really well received, you know, for Clone Wars. And I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's just icing on the cake because, uh, the fans are really an important part of, of Star Wars. Um, you know, there's, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship, really. Star Wars feeds off of the fans in a way. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the fans have recognized that I, I revere it and I treat it as, uh, with such just love you know, that I do. And, and it's, it's nice to be well-received for that. It's a cool thing. And since you're working on musical themes and everything that were kind of the, the groundwork all laid by the great John Williams, has he approached you, given you any feedback, said, hey, Kevin, great job. I love what you did here. Have you talked to him at all? No, I I, I haven't. And I'll share with you a story. Um, I did a film oh, 15 or 17 years ago, where I, I wrote the themes to the film. Uh, it was about a missionary in Tonga uh, called The Other Side of Heaven. And it's, it's really some of the better themes I've written in my life, and I, I was very proud of that film. Uh, and recently, uh, uh, they, they made The Other Side of Heaven Part 2, and a very good friend. In fact, um, I knew him since he was a child, uh, scored it. Um, and, and rightly so because of a bunch of different circumstances. Um, in fact, he even worked as my assistant for some time. His name was Christian Davis. And I, I, uh, Christian sent me the score and I, I loved what he did with the score uh, except when he was using my themes. <laughs> and it, I, I didn't hate what he did, but it just made me kind of itch because, I, you know, it's, it's sort of like what I told George Lucas. I mean, John Williams wrote the arrangement and the orchestration and all the counter melodies to, the, to the, all of his themes the way he, sh he thought it should sound. And for someone else to do it, it, it may be perfectly valid, you know, in terms of, you know, the world and the fans and everything like that. But I know it's, I, I'm positive that it doesn't matter whether it's me or Michael Giacchino or um, John Powell or whoever, these fantastic composers. I'm, I'm absolutely positive that it, it, he's probably not crazy about, what we do with his melodies and, <laughs> and, 
And, you know, it's just natural. What, what I will say, what I loved about what Christian did is he, he took the flavor that I, I had in that film and, and he, he nailed it when he used his own voice. And, and it really kind of taught me a lesson when I, when I work on Star Wars, but to not try to imitate John Williams because it just can't be done, you know, and you just sure. got to fall flat. So I, I really try to use my own voice. Yeah, there's a flavor, and John Williams created that flavor, and it's Star Wars, and it's always going to be part of Star Wars. So I, I have to remain true to that to that sound and that flavor and that that whole world, musical world he created. But I, I really try to use my own voice, and, and I think the music turns out better then. And uh, your website, kevinkiner.com, that's Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, Kiner, K-I-N-E-R.com, has a lot of your work up there where people can click on it and listen. You're on SoundCloud, you're on YouTube. With all the different projects, I was going through your IMDb page, and you've got a vast array of stuff with a lot of great projects from stuff that I love, like Superboy, the series, way back in the 80s. Uh, Nick right. Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Stargate, SG-1, Star Trek, Enterprise. Uh, you mentioned earlier CSI Miami and Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, to stuff now like Jane the Virgin. Uh, you mentioned Doom Patrol and Titans. When you are working on projects, do you? how do you compartmentalize the projects? Like You can't, obviously, you don't want Star Wars to sound anything like what you did on Star Trek. Obviously, yeah. Titans can't sound anything like what you did for Transformers, R- Robots in Disguise. How does your mind compartmentalize music by uh, different projects? We're going to pause right there, take another break, come back, chatting for the rest of the hour with composer Kevin Kiner. Please stand by. Hey, this is Brian O'Halloran. You might know this voice from such great films as Clerks, Mallrats, Dogma, Chasing Amy, the new Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and you're listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to the show, geek to me Radio, and I am your host, James Enstall. This show would never have been made possible without our premier sponsor, and that is the City of St. Charles. St. Charles, Missouri, you go to the website, discoverstcharles.com. Check out all the fun things there are to see and do. Uh, There's still outdoor activity going on, and it's been fairly sunny and blustery lately, but still it's nice to get outside because I I see so many people walking and riding their bikes, and that's great. I think uh, hopefully we will all come out of this with a better appreciation of nature. I think uh, taking a walk, changing the atmosphere in which you are in uh, going outside is great and while a lot of the shops on main street are temporarily closed although some are still doing curbside pickup for places like Kilwin's ice cream uh, magpies in the 900 block so if you are in the general st louis area you can still check on those particular websites uh, go to the main website discoverstcharles.com they'll probably have a list of vendors that are doing curbside pickup for food but get out and enjoy frontier park uh, we went for a walk on South Main Street because our dog loves to walk out there on the cobblestones, and it's just a brilliant atmosphere. Uh, it's a great place to walk, great place to enjoy the outdoors, and that's something you can do still, <laughs> something we can socially distance but still enjoy the great outdoors. No better place to do it 
than St. Charles. If you're from out of town, if you're from out of the state of Missouri and you're, you know, I have, I've never been there, it's worth checking out. And when uh, this all kicks back up, when all this is something we, we look back at as a part of history that we lived through, it'll be something you'll want to do to get out, to go explore new places. I think it'll, like I said, give us all a greater appreciation. St. Charles is someplace that needs to be appreciated. If you've not been there, come visit. We would love to see you. And the website, again, discoverstcharles.com. Plan your trip. Do it all right there from the comfort of your home. We hope to see you very soon in St. Charles. We are talking all for the rest of the hour here, I should say, with composer Kevin Kiner. And before we went to break, we'd asked him about uh, how his mind compartmentalizes music by projects. Once again, I think it's putting my head down and, and, and composing what's in front of me. You know, it's, it's sort of like asking somebody how, how they drive, a, you know, on a racetrack or how they, if they treat, treat the curves differently than they treat the straightaways or if a, a road track is different than, than a, a big speedway or something like that. You, you just kind of, you drive the course. Hmm. And and uh, that's what I do. You know, I, I, I write, I, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I can't, I have to be conscious that I'm not using a Star Wars lick when I'm doing uh, Transformers, right. you know, and, <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, you know, that's, a, that's a really good point, but I don't know. I, I don't know how it is. I, I, like I said, I just kind of put my head down and, and I, I write for the project and it, and that, um, I mean, to me, I love it because it really helps me not to get stale and, and it's really fun to all of a sudden, go to a project like Narcos or something like that, where I'm, I'm totally doing it with my fingers on my guitar and on and my South American instruments, like Ron Rocco or an Oud or a Chumbash or a, a, all these different kind of crazy stringed instruments. Uh, you know, it's a completely different composing process than, than writing for an orchestra. Um, but I, I mean, I've been doing this over 35 years. So, you know, I think if I didn't have that kind of variety, I, I would have just retired and gotten tired of doing it. And if I'm not mistaken, you started uh, not as a composer. You wanted to do pre-med and uh, the obviously still a lot of left brain, very uh, complex things you've got to think about versus uh, medicine versus uh, music. It's all that left brain. Did it uh, what was the thing that really kind of snapped you in the other direction to say, nope, this is what I'm doing. What was that uh, moment for you where you realized, no, I can't do pre-med. I got to do music. Well, I mean, that was all I would have, first of all, I would have been an atrociously terrible doctor. <laughs> so, I mean, the universe got saved <laughs> big time in that, in, in that respect. Uh, I, I, you know, being, it, I was pre-med at UCLA because, uh, my mom told me that I was going to be a destitute and playing in bars my whole life if I remained a musician, you know, mm. if I followed that. And, and, you know, that's any parent's fear. I, I, I actually, I mean, both of my sons are now composing with me, um, and they're doing great work. Uh, for instance, Thrawn's theme was written by my oldest son, and it's a huge fan favorite, you know, from, from, uh, uh, from rebels. So I, but I didn't encourage my kids to get in the music business because my mom was right. Uh, I, in, in a lot of ways, I, I have friends who, 
who really struggled to make a living uh, as a musician. They're super talented and stuff. So, uh, you know, I I, kind of had a choice when I went to college, which was either doctor or lawyer, and that was it. And I I mean, literally, it was almost a, you know, eeny, beeny, miny, hole. I kind of, I guess I decided I was better at math and science than I was at writing essays. So I, <laughs> I, I would become a doctor, um, but I would have been miserable and it would have been terrible. It, it, music's just always tugged at me. So, so even when I was, you know, going to UCLA, I mean, fortunately, because I, I applied to Notre Dame. And I didn't get admitted. I had pretty decent grades. I don't know what happened. I just, I didn't get into uh, Notre Dame. Um, and I think it would have been way different if I'd been in South Bend, Indiana, because I wouldn't have been able to gig all the time uh, to make extra money, which is what I did yeah. when I was attending UCLA. Uh, and then I, I got a gig with a group and we, we played in Vegas for a summer and, and that, gave me a bunch of extra dough. And then the manager of that group asked me if I would be their music director. Their music director had, had gone on to a different group. And, uh, I said, sure. And, and, and he said, well, get a passport. We're going to go to our first dates in, uh, New Year's Eve in Jakarta, Indonesia. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, I got a passport and I, I finished fall quarter, uh, at UCLA. UCLA is on the, kind of like trimesters, you know, you do three quarters a year and, uh, got on a plane and, and did the new year's Eve gig. And that was only supposed to last a few weeks, but the tour wind up, wound up lasting six months. Hmm. Um, you know, we went to Thailand, we went to Japan, we went to the Philippines, we went all over Asia and we were doing these like, um, Vegas style showrooms. But anyhow, that's kind of what, I, I didn't really have a plan. <laughs> I just, I got a gig and, and I kept working sort of, you know, that's so, serendipity. Uh, that's the was, best, that's the best way to do it, it. Man, I got, I got very, very lucky. I, I'm really, I'm blessed. And it's, I look back on it and it's, a, I'm just amazed. And I mentioned, I was uh, looking at your IMDB page before we started you did the music on a TV special or documentary for three of the funniest men to ever breathe. Don Rickles, Jackie Gleason, and George Carlin. Uh, yeah. Just amazing comedic timing, amazing yeah. talent. What can you tell me about working on those three projects? And we're going to pause again, uh, take our last break. Come back and finish the hour up. Composer Kevin Kiner talking about Clone Wars and some of the other projects he'd worked on. Stand by. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of Geek Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Hera, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geektomeradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet, click through from geektomeradio.com first. The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by and do nothing? 
this is Ed Asner, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. I can't tell you how exhausting it's been humoring this geek. He is terribly costly and time-consuming. I ask for mercy, and there is none to be had with this geek. Welcome back for this final segment of Geek to Me Radio. When I talk to people, I always like to talk about their uh, all the different aspects of their career. Because I'm talking to them about, obviously, Clone Wars with composer Kevin Kiner. Uh, the final season on Disney+, Plus, very exciting. And sad in a way, too. When you know something's going to be the end, it's always uh, puts it up on a pedestal for you. It's like, oh, it's the last season. And it's very sad because you know it's going to be the last season. But there's plenty of other Star Wars content we can always go back and watch the seasons over and over again to our heart's content, along with Rebels and all the other Star Wars animated specials and Mandalorian. But I do like to talk to them about other projects on which they've worked. And Kevin Kiner, right before we went to break, we'd asked him about working on doing the music for specials for some of these great, great comedians like Jackie Gleason, Don Rickles, and George Carlin. Well, they're incredibly different. Um, the the Don Rickles thing, I I I did a couple of shows for Don that Don Rickles was host of, and then I did the uh, what was it called Rickles on the Loose or something like that. Um, he was the nicest man, one of the nicest men I've ever met. Uh, you know, in person, he, he would always want to know what I was doing. I was pretty young, you know. He's like, you know, am I having kids and all this kind of stuff? He was just such a nice, nice guy. Um, the Jackie Gleason thing, I, I never got to meet Jackie Gleason, uh, uh, but I had to re-record that, you know, Melancholy Serenade, that, da, 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 da. Oh, sure, and, yeah. And, and, cause they didn't have it clean. They, they, they didn't have a clean copy of, of the orchestra playing that. They always had it with the announcer, you know, from Miami Beach, you know, and, and so, they wanted a clean copy, and I, I had to do a take, what's called a takedown, which is you listen to it and write, you know, try to replicate what those guys were playing. That was a difficult task, I'll hmm. tell you, because there was an announcer blaring over the music half the time. And but uh, yeah, so I did that. I, mean, I, was, I learned a lot on that one. And then the George Carlin was actually the first dramatic uh, scene I really ever wrote. Um, because so that was called, uh, I think it was a HBO special or something, uh, called just playing with your head, which only George Carlin could have an awesome title like that is, <laughs> is special. Um, and it started off with about a 15 minute Sam Spade style, black and white vignette, uh, that, that culminated with a, an old forties kind of car chase. And, um, I studied a bunch of Max Steiner scores, you know, and it was all da 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 that kind of uh, old school kind of thing. And I'd I'd never I'd before I'd written for um, uh, blooper shows, uh, and so I hadn't done any dramatic uh, scoring before. I was that was the very first dramatic scene I'd ever scored. Hmm. Uh, and George Carlin, I mean, what a genius that guy was. Absolutely. Was really fun. So when you look back at your career, uh, and again, uh, the season seven of Clone Wars has got to rank pretty high. What would you say are your top three projects that you're most proud of? 
I would I, I would have to put Star Wars and Clone Wars, the, the entire my entire body work, you know, uh, Ahsoka's theme. Um, I, there's three actually. You know, your listeners may be interested if they go back to the 2008 soundtrack. There's a track called uh, General Loathsome slash Ahsoka. And there's two more Ahsoka themes in that queue. One's around 12 seconds in, and the other one's about a minute 16. Uh, and and I, I, all three of Ahsoka's themes I'm very proud of. Um, so I would, I would put that as, you know, a big thing. I, I would uh, I would also put uh, The Other Side of Heaven, probably some of the best melodies I ever wrote with that, that movie. Um and then, you know, Doom Patrol's insane, man. It's, yeah. That's a fun, fun show to, to compose for. But then again, so is Narcos. You know, I, I don't think I have really a top three. I, I'd say there's a bunch that are tied after the first, <laughs> after Star Wars, really. And what an incredible career. Like I said, I, I listed off some of the titles. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, go check out kevinkiner.com. It's Kevin, K-E-V-I-N. Kiner, K-I-N-E-R.com. You can listen to some of the stuff. Very, very excited for Clone Wars Season 7. You're not on social media at all, so people can't find you in the Twitterverse or on Instagram or anything like that? No, no, just my website. Perfect. Uh, Kevin Kiner, very excited for the seventh and final season of Clone Wars on Disney+. Plus, February 21st, uh, we're looking forward to more from you. Thanks so much for your time today. Okay, thank you. Great talking to you, Jane. That's going to do it. Another episode in the books. Huge thank you to my executive producer, Joey V, for making all this sound as good as it does. He's the one who makes it that way, folks. All I do is talk. I also want to say, if you're local in the St. Louis area, please support local businesses that are still doing curbside pickup. Uh, your business is essential for these places like Hendel's Market up in Florissant. Uh, if you want some great food, uh, get it, uh, order it on the website or call it in and pick it up. London Tea Room on Morgansford. You need your tea, folks. You got to stay healthy. Justin's Comics to get your comic book fixed. They're still doing curbside pickup and they've got some great deals. And of course, D.D. Mao, if you're in the Maryland Heights area and want a great bobble, that's the place to go. Uh, be safe. Take care of yourself. Wash your hands. Socially distant. And just be kind to one another. Uh, we're all in this together and we're going to get through it. Until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you watch I sound be. It's not in the way you watch the flash. It's not in the way you love Scotty Young Art. It's not in the way you play Mario Kart. It's not in the way you look when you make him and throw references. That's a show. This is Geek Two. Thank you, Planet Alderaan. Good night.